0: To sit. Well, we continue this evening looking uh, in the book of Haggai. This is uh, the third week of uh, four, and um, uh, the uh, Haggai is on page 949. If you like to turn to it, page 949 in the Church Bibles, Haggai chapter two, and this week verses 10 to 19. I uh, I love getting something for nothing. You like me? If ever I go. Uh, uh, to the town, and they're uh, you know, giving free things away. I just love it. I, I, I make sure I walk past the person that's giving something away, and then I'll make sure I walk back again and, and get another one, even if I don't really want. I just like getting things for nothing. On Friday, it was great. I went shopping with gift vouchers. That's brilliant, isn't it? Shopping with gift vouchers. Vouchers. Not like money. I, can, I can't spend them anywhere. I can only spend them at this place. So I just don't spend them. I, 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 it was a case of I, 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 I had no uh, no pain and great gain. It's fantastic. I walk out of the shop with things I want, and I've handed over things that I somebody else gave me. It's just brilliant. Do you like that? No, clearly not. Well, I do anyway. <laughs> Doesn't affect my wallet or my credit card. I love getting things for nothing, and that's one reason why I love Haggai chapter two verse nineteen. Just look at it here. Look at those last words of the, uh, the section that we had read for us. The Lord says, from this day on I will bless you. Uh, the blessing of God. What more could I want? For nothing. Our God is so kind and generous and he wants to give things that I don't deserve. He wants to freely give me his blessing. He wants to give me himself. What a magnificent promise. See, as this was read, we should have been on the edge of our seats, whether we like having something for nothing or not. We should have been on the edge of our seats longing to know how we can get in on this promise. For there is nothing better than to know the blessing of the Lord upon our lives. Of course, I'm not naive. C.S. Lewis wrote these words, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased, writes Lewis. Brilliant description of our society, isn't it? Fiddling around with all the trinkets of life when knowing the Lord, we could have spiritual wealth unmeasured. It's not just a description of our world. Sadly, it's all too true when it comes to many of us who call ourselves Christians too. We are too easily pleased, happy to be playing around making mud pies when the Lord longs to bless us with a holiday by the sea. But We're content to have Jesus perched on the edge of our lives rather than have him at the very centre as everything to us, at the very heart of life itself. Now here's a blessing that he longs to give us. From this day on, I will bless you. Don't you want to know how to get that? In the last few weeks, as we've been studying the book of Haggai, we've, we've seen God's people utterly transformed. Utterly transformed. Do you remember in chapter 1, we met a people disobedient and spiritually dead. Chapter 1, verse 4, they were living in their panelled houses, their luxury apartments, furnishing their huge detached properties, while, do you see it, verse 4, the Lord's house, the temple, was in ruins. Chapter 1, verse 8, they had no concern for the honour of the Lord. They didn't care what people thought of his name. But as the Lord spoke to them through his prophet Haggai, something spectacular happened to that people. Through his word, by his spirit, chapter 1, verse 14, he stirred them up. The entire people of God were stirred up to be about the things of God. So they were transformed and and the transformation saw them turning their hand to the rebuilding of the temple. And now, chapter 2, verse 10, it was the 24th day of the ninth month. Now, that's three months on, if you look back to chapter 1, verse 15. Three months the people had been working on the rebuilding of the temple, and this great promise came to them. Chapter 2, verse 19, the Lord said to them, From this day on I will bless you. What was so significant about this day? Look at chapter 2, verse 18. From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. See, on this day, the people of God would lay the foundation of the temple. And the Lord says, From this day I'm going to bless you. What a magnificent promise. The promise of the blessing of God on your life. Everybody longs for that. Every man and woman and boy and girl on this planet longs for the blessing of God. Now again, I'm not stupid. I know as well as you that the vast majority of people are not interested in knowing God. But look deep down, look at people's lives and you will see that they long for this blessing. It is the deep longing of their heart whether they know it or not. Every human being longs to be loved. We all need someone to assure us that we're okay, that we're special, that we're wanted, that we're accepted. Uh, We'll look for that from somewhere, from our parents, and if we don't get it from our parents, we'll look at it from a lover or from a spouse or from a friend. And if you don't get it from someone close to you, you'll try and get it from professional success, from your colleagues of claim, from achieving at work. You've got to get it from somewhere because it's what you were made for. Except it wasn't actually what you were made for. We were made to be in relationship with God and to have his smile of approval. But you see, when we don't have that, we'll look for it somewhere else. Again, C.S. Lewis in a number of his writings points out that even when we don't have problems, we're seeking for a blessing in the acclaim and the love and the approval of other people. But C.S. Lewis points out that it never arrives or it never sticks when it comes from someone or something else. Again, listen to Lewis, he puts it like this. Most people, if they really had learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. Do you know that feeling? See, we have longings the longings that arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of a foreign holiday or or first take up some uh, some subject that excites us. But these are longings that no marriage and no travel and no learning really ever satisfy because we were made for a very specific blessing. The blessing of the smile of God's approval. And that's why here in chapter 2, verse 19, this is so spectacular. From this day on, I will bless you. You see, we want that, don't we? And so the Lord says to the people, give careful thought. He says it in verse 15 and he says it halfway through verse 18. Do you see the phrase there? Give careful thought. He says, think about how it's been in the past for you. Remember the struggles that you've had and take note of this day. If you were here two weeks ago, you'll have seen it. What a hard time the people of God were having back then. Now, it, it, they're reminded of it here in chapter 2 look at chapter 2 verse 16 when anyone came to a heap of 20 measures there were only 10 when anyone went to a wine vat to draw measure of uh, 50 measures there were only 20 uh, they were in the middle of a recession their money didn't go far these days put their hand in the pocket and it seemed, all seemed to have gone uh, verse 17 the crops have been blighted mildew hail it was an agricultural nightmare And as we saw in chapter 1, we see it again in verse 17, the Lord was behind all of this. You see verse 17, I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail. But it was going to change now. Verse 18, from this day on, from the 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Verse 15, give careful thought. The Lord says, mark it on your calendar, put a note in your diary. This was the day that you laid the foundation of the temple and just as you mark that in your diaries, mark my words, this is the day when everything will change for you. This is the day, the day when you laid the foundation. This is the day when you will know my blessing. And he's saying, give careful thought, (laughs) there's no coincidence here. He says there is a direct correlation between obeying the Lord and knowing his blessing. See the point? I think of a Christian girl I knew some years back, I mean really some years back. She she wasn't really stuck into Christian things. There was one particular area of disobedience in her life that dominated her life. She was dating an unbeliever. She was probably involved with him sexually, I don't know. Whether she was converted or not, I don't really know that. I can't see anybody's heart. But she attended church. She said she believed things. What I do know is that she certainly didn't have God's priorities in her life, and she would say that. She was not about building up God's church, as the people of Haggai became. She wasn't about living for him wholeheartedly, but everything changed for her one summer. She went as a leader on a teenager's house party. I'm not sure I'd have even had her as a leader on a teenage house party, but she went and she came back as a completely changed and transformed person. I I could barely believe the person who came back from that week away compared to the person who went. It was only a week. Her life completely turned about. While she was away, something happened. She heard maybe for the first time, but she certainly heard what the gospel was really all about and she sorted out areas of disobedience in her life but she ended with the unbelieving boyfriend that had been going on for a long time. She came back determined to serve the Lord Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. She came back determined to bring her life in line with his plan for the world. She became sold out in doing evangelism and giving her life to the Lord's work. She was totally transformed. She was visibly transformed You could just see it on her face. She glowed. She was alive. She wanted to serve the Lord Jesus now. It was actually a thrill to talk to her about the future. And I I did that a few months on. We sat down and we had a coffee together and um, she did verse 15. She gave careful thought, you see. And she knew what had changed her life. She realized that once she became serious about the Lord, maybe that was when she was converted, but if not, it was certainly the time when she started to obey Him. And when she started, suddenly started to want to bring her life in line with His plans, that was when her life changed. That was when she knew the blessing. I can remember her clearly saying to me, I am so happy. She said, I never knew how wonderful it could be to serve the Lord. She said, my life has changed so dramatically since I became single-minded in serving Jesus Christ. And you could see it. We went on to speak about how she could serve the Lord Jesus abroad. She she wanted to go anywhere. She would do anything for him. She was a different girl. That's what Haggai chapter 2 is about. The Lord says, I long to bless you. I want to give you my blessing. I want you to know really what life is about I want to give you what you can get from nowhere else I long to give it to you and uh, you see I like that because I like getting things for nothing there is a direct correlation though between obedience and blessing uh, actually that's what the first half of the chap- this, this section is all about uh, we see it's all tied up with the law of God as we see in verses 11 to 14 Uh, We'll look at verses 11 to 14 in a moment, but uh, let me just uh, give a background, if I may, a little backdrop. You see, there are some laws that you cannot bypass or override in the world. You cannot override the law of gravity. What goes up must come down. Whether you believe it or not, what goes up must come down. You may be absolutely convinced that the law of gravity does not exist, but you cannot defy the law of gravity. If you climb to a very high building or a very high mountain and you jump off, you may be jumping off all the time saying, I don't believe in the law of gravity, but the law of gravity will kick in and it will kill you. There are some laws that you cannot override. They are built into the fabric of the universe. And what the Lord is pointing to is in verses 11 to 14 is a law that cannot be bypassed or overridden. It is a spiritual law, the spiritual law of holiness. And if you and I ignore it, whether we are unbelievers or or Christians, if we ignore this spiritual law of holiness and jump off into life as if this law does not exist, we will have a huge spiritual fall and if we keep on ignoring it, it will kill us spiritually. Now look at verse 11. Haggai got the priests together. Verse 11, and he asked them, verse 12, if a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest says no. Then like I said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Here's the spiritual law. Now look, you and I may not be familiar with all this stuff about... Uh, what becomes clean and what becomes unclean. But it's not complicated. In a nutshell, Haggai was reminding the priest that God's law taught that unholiness is contagious. It spreads. You can catch it. But holiness is not like that at all. Holiness cannot be caught. Oh, again, we know it in everyday life, especially those of you who work in, uh, in the health service, and I know there are many of you here who do that. Those of you who spend so much of your life in hospitals with six sick people, you will understand this. Whenever I go to the hospital to visit a sick member of the congregation, I see notices all over the wards, notices telling me to use the antiseptic hand wash in dispensers conveniently located as you go on the ward, before you go into the particular bay, as you come out of the bay, as you go off the ward. Clean, wash your hands, it says. Why? Because disease spreads so easily. We know that. It is very easy to go into a hospital as a well person and come out infected It doesn't work the other way round, though, does it? When I go hospital visiting as a fit and well person, I don't dream of standing next to all the sick patients, rubbing up against them nice and closely and hoping that they'll catch my good health. It doesn't work like that. Now, that's all that Haggai is saying here, actually. It's the same in the Christian church. Spiritual disease, spiritual illness, unholiness spreads. See, verse uh, 13, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, it becomes defiled. And just so you're convinced that that still happens in the church today, flip with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, page 1147. And you see, it's not actually that complicated to understand this once we understand what's going on. and it's actually really very worrying. And it's very important we get a grip on it. Page 1147. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. Before I do, do you know the situation at the beginning of chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians? Um, well, you'll see it there. Um, a man has his father's wife. A man is sleeping with his stepmother, Perhaps. He's certainly doing what he shouldn't do. Gross sexual immorality. Look at the people of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Your boasting is not good. They were boasting about this. Look what Paul says. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. It's very simple what he's saying. Unholiness, sin, must be rooted out or it will infect us all. Sin, if we allow it to stay in the congregation, will affect the whole congregation. Just as a little bit of yeast works through the whole batch of dough, sin works through the whole church. Brothers and sisters, if you are a member of Christ Church Forward, And you are sinning in an extraordinary way. Even if no one else knows about it. It will affect us. It is not a private thing. Even if it happens to be done behind closed doors. It will affect us. Sin spreads. We are easily affected, infected by unholiness. But the same is not true of holiness, you see. That's, what, um, that's the big point in Haggai. Come back with me to chapter 2 of Haggai and verse 12. Do you see the point now? Chapter 2, verse 12. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine or oil or other food, if you've got some, you're carrying something that's holy, that's, that's consecrated, uh, and it touches something else, does it become consecrated? Does the other thing become consecrated? No. <laughs> This is a very important point because so many people miss it, especially people who are part of a large, vibrant church, churches like Forward. You can't rub up alongside other people who are holy and hope that you'll catch their holiness. It doesn't work like that. I saw it a lot in London, being part of a vibrant church with great music and huge numbers of people attending. Most of those people were good-looking people who were trendy and friendly. I don't know why I was part of the church, but I was. But anyway, there they were. And being part of that kind of church that is big and friendly and friendly people, it was attractive to join that sort of church. And so people joined. And to all intents and purposes, you thought many of these people were the real thing. They looked like really committed Christians because they hung around Christians and they said the right things. Until they moved away... And they never got involved in another church. Every time they came back to London, they showed up. And I'd ask them how they were getting on. And it turned out that they didn't go to church anymore. Oh, I've seen it here, here with uh, people brought up in this church. They come every week to the youth work and on, on a Sunday evening they come to church. But when they move away, they go to university or they get a job elsewhere. They stop being involved with God's people. Oh, whenever they're back in forward, they come back to church smiling. They love to be here. Now, do you see what all that's about? Their faith is emotional, their faith is social. It's all sorts of things, but it isn't relational. It's not about a relationship with the Lord, is it? These people hang around Christians and have hung around Christians for years. But it's clearly not personal, because when they move away, it all disappears. Do you see what this is teaching? You can't catch holiness from being around people who are holy. If you don't actually have a deep, personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, being around Christians won't give it to you. See, holiness comes from the Lord Jesus. You become holy by coming to him And you grow in holiness as you meet with him and as you obey him. There is no shortcut to holiness. And that is why here in chapter 2, this was all tied up with the building of the temple. See, the temple was the God-appointed place where we can meet God. Now, this is very important, so let me repeat that. The temple was the God-appointed place where we can meet God. For us, hundreds of years later, this is not an issue of bricks and mortar at all. Indeed, to understand this, one more cross-reference, turn with me to John chapter 2, and we'll see it very clearly. John chapter 2, page 1065. Where can I meet with the Lord? Where can I meet to become holy? If it's not bricks and mortar, where is it now? John chapter 2 page 1065 and as we arrive in John chapter 2 here is the Lord Jesus Christ himself standing on the same site where the people in Haggai's day built the temple. Jesus is here in the temple and look what he says John chapter 2 verse 18. The Jews demanded of Jesus what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this. Jesus answered destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. Then they believed the scripture in the words that Jesus had spoken. Notice that, verse 21. The temple he had spoken of was his body. Jesus is the temple of God. The temple is God's appointed place where we meet God. Jesus is where we meet God. Jesus is where we become holy because of his death on the cross that we're going to be remembering in a moment. When he died on the cross, if we put our trust in him, we become holy, consecrated. But until it's personal, until I've met him, whatever I do is defiled. That's what it says in Haggai chapter 2 verse 14 as we flip back. Now are you still with me? Until you've met the Lord Jesus personally you have never met God. You might have thought you have but you haven't. Now let me ask you to check it out because it's very important. What is it like at home with you and the Lord? Do you ever meet him, really? Do you ever have a time of Bible reading and prayer, Really? And if you do have a time of Bible reading and prayer, are you just doing your quiet time or are you meeting with the Lord? Are you hearing his voice in his word and are you obeying him? See, being around Christians won't make you holy. Oh, it's good to be around Christians. Don't mishear this. You can learn a lot of things from being around Christians. Lots of good things. It is good being around Christians as long as it doesn't stop there. Now here in Haggai we see what a difference it makes when it's personal. We see what a difference it makes when you meet the Lord at the temple in Jesus. Then you know the blessing of God, you see? Remember, think carefully, make note of this day as you began to be about the work of the Lord, as you began to be about meeting the Lord in his temple, that was the day you knew the blessing. He says, think about it, those of you who have fallen away from the Lord and are disobedient, because believe me, sin spreads. And you have to come back to the Lord in obedience if you want to know the Lord's blessing. There's no other way. See, until they went to the temple, this people knew nothing of the blessing of the Lord. Haggai chapter 2 verse 16, until this point they'd received half measures of, See, when everyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there are only 10. Half measures. As a colleague of mine said so helpfully on Thursday, half hearted Christian lives lead to half blessed Christian lives. Friends, where are we at on this? There have been some great times of revival in the church in this land in the past, times when the grace of God takes hold of large numbers of people when the blessing of God comes to large numbers of people and brings them into a living and vibrant faith in Jesus Christ where their lives are transformed. Those who have studied those great revivals tell me three things happen in the church when this happens. Three things happen. They happen all together but three things happen. First, nominal church members get converted. People who thought they were Christians who thought they understood the gospel, realised they never did. Uh, They begin to realise this is why their lives were stuck in spiritual deadness and and why their lives are filled with hypocrisy and unhappiness and lacking in joy. Nominal Christians get converted in these times of revival. The second thing that happens in revival is that sleepy Christians with very little understanding of their identity in Christ, of, of little understanding of who they are in Christ, very little sense of the heart, of the love of Christ, Sleepy Christians wake up, the gospel takes hold of them and they wake up and they get new deep assurances of the love of God and their lives are transformed. And then as nominal church members who who get converted and sleepy Christians get empowered by the spirit, a third thing happens. Outsiders, non-Christians outside the walls look in and they not, not only see church services but they see church services of great beauty and vibrancy. They see something wonderful in the true Christian community because all the nitpicking and infighting and controversy that so often mars the church of God, all that's gone, they like it. And so as the church reaches out to the neighbourhood and reaches out to those around with the gospel and with love and with generosity and kindness, outsiders want in. Nominal Christians are converted, sleepy Christians are woken up and so the church itself, as a church, as a community, everything in it becomes beautified. It's fellowship, it's worship, it's witness. And believers are attracted to that. They're attracted to the new beauty they see in the church and they come in and they love what they see and people are converted in great numbers and these people know this huge blessing of the Lord. Their lives are transformed. And as we look at Haggai, you see, we meet a people about whom this is happening. And as we see this, I can't help but believe we need this work of the Lord too. And as we look at this, I I believe that the Lord will have been working in this way this evening. There will be some here this evening who you've realised for the first time that you're just a, a nominal Christian. You've never known the Lord, never known the blessing of God. The richness of knowing him. Of knowing that he is everything for you. If you ever had that moment where you, just that moment where you thought, Jesus is everything to me. Some of you will have realised you've never had that. There will be some here who are disobedient Christians. Oh, in the past you've prayed a prayer of commitment, but, but you're not in love with Jesus. There's something else you're in love with in that it always wins over over Jesus. I know what it is. You're in love with something else, with pornography or money or sport or food. or You know what it is. There'll be some here as sleepy Christian, You're a Christian. Oh, Jesus isn't really valuable to you. You're half-hearted. And half-hearted Christian lives lead to half-blessed Christian lives. And tonight the Lord says give careful thought if you'll start trusting me if you'll start wholeheartedly living for me give careful thought to this day today could be the day today could be the day that from this day on I will bless you verse 19 would that be wonderful? wouldn't it be wonderful if it happened to one or two or three or ten or twenty or fifty individuals or a hundred or it be wonderful if it happened to us all from this day on I will bless you well let's spend some time in quiet in a moment Ed will lead us in prayer before he does let me ask you to identify yourself Nominal Christian, never known the Lord. Why not today? Disobedient Christian. Something the Lord's been challenging you on for a long time. Deal with it today. Sleepy Christian. Half-hearted. How about committing to wholeheartedness now? Just this moment of silence then. And then in a moment, Ed will pick up in prayer.